Welcome to Voices from the Dales, part two of Our Ingleborough. My name's Andrew Fagg. I'm still sat with Anna Greenwood on the clints and grikes of the limestone pavement of Colt Park, which is at the heart of the Ingleborough National Nature Reserve. Anna, will you introduce this next voice uh, that we have? And it's from Ribblesdale artist Hester Cox. How did you meet her? I've known Hester for, well, we were trying to work it out, more than 10 years, and I'm not sure. Um, it's one of those friendships that's just kind of emerged over the years, and we keep bumping into each other. And, and, and we're just we're similar, and we get on, and I think she's absolutely great, a very talented lady. Hester, I joined you in your studio, which is, well, a shed isn't a nice enough... <laughs> <laughs> to describe it but it, it it is basically a shed at the bottom of your garden and uh, there are pieces of art on the walls and the sun is was <laughs> streaming <laughs> yeah. through the window the big window lots of light coming in there are birds outside I, I think I heard the train and some lorries going yeah. through the town the wood walls are whitewashed and you've got a stove in the corner yes and also I can see there are items on your walls that you've collected on your runs and walks I assume from you've got feathers in glass frames yeah there's a sheep's skull with horns (laughs) (laughs) and and behind you there's more skulls and then you've got these drawers that say skulls pottery shells eggs (laughs) stones yeah to describe the environment, what you have here, and, and yeah. where these things have come from. Well, everything, pretty much all the natural objects in here, I've found at some point. There's a few things that people have given to me. Once they find out that I like collecting things, I do get, I actually get quite a few dead things. People give me little boxes with dead birds in <laughs> which is sort of a sad but lovely. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've got um, various skulls that I've found I got up to Scotland quite a bit, so I found quite a few bird skulls on beaches and things. I collect feathers as well. I'm a bit obsessed with stripy feathers. You find them, you know, you get them off of owls, birds of prey, curlews as well. I've got a woodcock feather. So the ones in the glass frames, I've got a kestrel, a merlin, sparrowhawk, a golden plover, or buzzard feathers. The buzzard feathers don't fit in there because they're too big. So yeah, I don't, they're all things that have like fallen off. I'd never harm anything. And I've got little bits of broken bird egg. You but, got um, those from an exhibition that you did in a barn, was that right? The swallow's yeah. eggs? Yeah, that's right. So the barn, I've got a little box and it's in one of the drawers there, which has got some little pieces of swallow egg and some moth feathers. And basically I did a big print installation for Grossington Festival and the, um, it was in a barn and the uh, guy who owned the barn basically gave me free reign to do what I wanted in there. And um, I made these five big, long, they're four metre long on cotton and they're all hand printed onto. So one's a huge collagraph, which is made from um, four metre long cardboard printing plates. I had to go up to Newcastle to Northern Print to print that because my press isn't big enough <laughs> for them. And they make up like a cross section through a meadow. And then on either side of them, I've got two hangings which have got the shadows of meadow plants, which I've I projected the shadows onto a white wall and took photographs of them. And then I did monoprints 
using the shadows as sort of reference and made all these kind of shadowy prints that hang on either side of the collagraph, which I'd hand blocked all different flight shapes of swallows on. So it came to hanging day and when I arrived, Ian said, oh, you're very welcome to, to put them wherever you need to put them. But can we leave the barn door open because we've got nesting swallows in here and they need to come in and out, which is, you know, great, fine by me. So the installation was up for two weeks and I went up every day from 12 till four with my little printing press and sat in the corner making prints and talking to people that came to visit. And the whole time these swallows were feeding their young and zipping in and out in between the hangings. It was just brilliant. They weren't bothered at all by us. They just carried on doing what they needed to do. I think because the barn's so big, we were quite insignificant, really. Afterwards, I, when I was taking it down, I looked around the edges of the walls uh, to see if there was any feathers or anything. <laughs> it's always like a swallow feather. But, um, and found all the little bits of egg that they'd knocked out of the nest onto the floor and little bits of moth feather where they'd been feeding the feeding the young and everything so uh, I collected a few of those and they'll probably end up in a piece of work at some point. Anna Greenwood you said you've known Hester Cox for a number of years you keep bumping into her what sort of artist is she? Hester's a printmaker she does collagraphic prints and she's been doing them for well for many 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 years now and to a point now where she doesn't have to work to order but she can actually design her own prints and and knows that they will sell and she's so talented at that and the way she gets her inspiration is all from the natural world it's all from being outside and a lot of what she sees and collects is when she's out up on the fells because she's a fell runner oh it's great yeah (laughs) um you've got a huge smile on your face as soon as you think about it yeah it's funny actually because at the weekend it was horrible weather and we went out in it anyway because we promised ourselves we were going to do a longish run and actually we got completely sodden but I just really enjoyed it it was great even when it was really hard and um, we decided to cut it a bit short Um, we had been thinking about running up onto some limestone kind of pavement area and we decided in that weather it would just be horrible underfoot so we came back and ran along the river instead to get back home but the feeling of being out in quite extreme weather is actually really exciting you know, every weekend's a bit of an adventure. We might run 15 miles and not see anybody at all. And we find new little tracks to places. And one of my big projects is to kind of know every part of Penny Ghent because it's kind of like, I think it's my hill. Because <laughs> I can see it, out the, see it out the door and it appears in lots of my work. And then I kind of know places where I don't talk about it too much, but I know where there's fox cubs and, you know, in, in the spring, I could have places where you find cloudberries and... It's just nice to kind of know an area that well. That was Hester Cox speaking to Anna Greenwood, who's still next to me here on the limestone pavement at Colt Park at the Ingleborough National Nature Reserve. It's time to move on to our second voice of this episode, and that's the voice of Winston White, a retired quarryman who is a near neighbour of Hester Cox. It's all things Ribblesdale in this episode. Let's start with Winston White describing the view from his farmland, which is not so far from here, just round the flank of Park Fell. My favourite place would be, we have land up at South House, right? And, and when you're up at South House, you have a wonderful view, right from Cellside, right across to Low Berkwith. And you can see where you're brought up. You walked across to school. And the dream, it's almost a dream come true to you, that you own almost 300 acres of that land, what you never even dreamed that one day you would own. 
and every day I go up to South House to feed the sheep, I stop on my motorbike when I get through that gateway and look down at it and absolutely appreciate it and adore it. Mm. There isn't many people in life can say that. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. It is to me absolutely wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Mm. Winston White was born in the area. He was born onto the farm. But the phrase he gave you, Anna, was that the other ones took the farm. Mm. So instead of the farm, he went into quarrying. Can you explain, Anna, just how closely connected Ribblesdale is with quarrying? There's a lot of quarries around the areas. There's limestone and there's gritstone. And the employment in the area was generally farming or quarrying because people wouldn't travel so far. So it would just seem logical for someone, for a young man, to look at quarrying as a, a future career, to earn money, to raise a family. It's when they started at the quarry at uh, Elwith Bridge, he started in the control room, and then he went on to the, the dumpers. The dumpers? Uh, yeah, that's the carrying the stone from the face to tip into the crusher. And in, and in those days, it was a cold job in win- winter time, when it was really freezing and cold, it, you had no eaters in them or anything like that. You were just sat there. It were, they were very, very cold. And then, after had been there a while, he went on to the what they called the navvies, with the old sh- shovels on the face with the ropes on them. You made good money, but they were dirty jobs. You know, they you were oil on you and dirt on you all the time. I don't think they, nowadays anybody would want to drive one of those. Dirty and cold by the sounds of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. yeah. And, and noisy. Was that your last job or did you do some more after at, that? Uh, at, that, was, that was the last job that I did at Hellwith Bridge. And then I moved up to Horton. And when I moved to Horton, you started, in, you started at, uh, on the uh, hydrated lime, which was uh, lifting bags of lime and loading wagons and stacking them for later if a wagon come in to put on pallets. But when, after about four or five days, you wish you'd never come to Horton to work at Horton because you, you, when you were lifting bags all day, you couldn't hardly move your hands, you couldn't hardly lift a bag because the hands just went stiff and you were sneezing off the line. And uh, after a while you got used to it, it seemed quite easy work. You've worked across the two quarries for more than four decades. In quarrying, yeah, yeah, yes, and you were always based in this area, yeah, across yeah, the two quarries. Yeah. When you look back across that time, what differences stand out to you? I think one of the one of the things that stands out is that is a number of people employed in the quarries. There's, there's only when I started at Horton Quarry ICI, there was about seventy people there, and uh, when I started at Redlands, there would be about twenty five. And now there'll probably be about 10 at Redlands and up at the quarry up at Horton, there'll probably be about 10 up at the quarry of Horton, up at Horton. So there isn't very much local employment in the quarries. From. Are they locally employed, the people that work there? Uh, there's a few, but not as, certainly not as many as I would like to see. I would, I would, I would think that they should, uh, they should try and employ more local people than what they do do, actually. Because people can drive in now, can't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. How would you get to work? Walk or I had a mate who went and he used to pick me up in the morning, yeah. yeah. Because if you, <laughs> if you need it, uh, well, they always, I mean, ICI and uh, and Redlands, when I first started quarrying, they all, uh, uh, Redlands had a bus and 
and they they take you back and forwards to work. And same as ICI, they had a, they had buses that used to come up and take men back and forward to work, but that phased out of a, a cost cutting by the uh, by the quarries. There was there was a quarries up there uh, was a houses up at Orton, I don't know how many there was, it'd probably be twenty five or so. And they all they've all been demolished over the last few years. That itself was a community up at up at the quarry actually with, at one time. When you say Horton, you mean Horton and Ribblesdale? Yeah, yeah, this one up here. You yeah. mean here, yes. Yeah, there, yes, were, there was there was I say there'd be about twenty five houses up there and that, that was a community on its own in it to start with, so And they've all been knocked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any business, what they're thinking about is uh, is money and not want any complaints because complaints have of dust dust all the time, wouldn't they coming down? Because mm -hmm. I don't know whether I should say it or not, but if the quarries, if they had chance, if the national parks and things didn't keep them a little bit harder, they would knock your house down and crush that up as well to make money if they could. There's <laughs> 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 no doubt about that. Do you want that recorded? <laughs> well, it doesn't bother me if you do record it because it's truth at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you asked Winston White about his life outside of quarrying. What were his main interests? Outside of quarrying, well, he was interested in the farm, he was interested in nature, he was interested in the wildlife, and, and there were pictures on his wall of, of animals, cows, and hares as well. And he talks a lot about hares, he got very enthusiastic about hares, and I saw some hares when I was staying up near where I was talking to him. So we did talk about hares, and he did get very excited talking about hares, and uh, a dog that was looking for one in the undergrowth. Oh, we used to go after hunting them with dogs, farm dogs used to go, farm dogs used to go all over running, catching hair, catch, trying to catch, trying to catch them. We caught one now and again, but it were only luck. Yeah. <laughs> there were hairs everywhere. Yeah. I remember the dog used to go, and, and they used to be in the rushes, did the hairs, you know, sit, sit in the rushes, and the dog was smelling on And all of a sudden, they would, they would be looking at rushes, you know, at air. They'd see it there, and they wouldn't, instead of jumping on it, they wouldn't do. They'd wait while it went, and do you know, they were marvellous things with a ruddy hair. You'd be like that one dog. Go up, I've knocked my ruddy teeth over. Just ready to jump at it. And they'd look at you, see what you were saying, or thinking, and that blooming hair would run off then. They must have been watching, they must have been watching dogs' eyes, you know, just what they were doing. <laughs> Winston White getting so excited about his tale of the hare and the dog that he knocked his tea hour. And there will be more excitement in the next Our Ingleborough Voices from the Dales podcast when we introduce the voices of Sham Yorkshire, as he likes to be known, Tariq Shiraz and the Dales Dipper, Les Peebles, as the subject moves from Ribblesdale to recreation. <laughs>